Good morning. Great to be here. I'll just get that out of my line of sight. I just want to follow on with something that Josh said. He was talking about young people and how they are the future. And Josh is, uh, didn't mention this, but he has, is now uh, hosting a radio show every week on a Friday night on Hope FM, uh, specifically aimed towards and targeting young people uh, in this community. So I just please keep Josh lifted up in your prayers. Uh, he's do- co-hosting it with a friend from America. Uh, so they're doing it over Skype or something like that. Uh, but just please lift him up in your prayers and that that show will actually reach the intended target audience. How great is it that we have dedicated youth show on a Christian radio station here in little old Esperance? I think it's pretty awesome, isn't it? Uh, I have been saying for some time that we're going to start a series on Ruth. And then every week or every time I get up here, I apologise and say, not this week. This is the week. We're starting Ruth. So I, I got a kick up the backside last week. I went to a different church and uh, this preacher there preached on Ruth 1. So I just took down lots of notes and uh, I'll just deliver the same message. No, I won't. Uh, but no, I'm very excited about uh, this message. I lo- absolutely love Ruth and I think there's so much in there for us to look at as well. So will you join with me in prayer? Father, we just want to thank you that you have given us your word. And we know that your word is truth. And we know that your word is given to lift us up and to help us have our eyes cast upon you, Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that today as we open your word and look in the book of Ruth, Lord, that it will be a blessing to each one of us here. Lord, may the words that are spoken and the words that are embedded in people's hearts be words that come straight from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ruth, a fantastic book in the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament and lots of commentaries and lots of commentators, Bible commentators, will agree and will tell you that the book of Ruth, although it's about a family, a Jewish family who has to leave their country and go into a foreign land, that actually it speaks to the church. And actually it speaks to, there are lots of types. And in, in the Bible, there are lots of, of types throughout the Bible. And when I say that, I'm talking about characters that, that although are, are real, represent something else. And in the book of Ruth, we have a number of types in there. For instance, Ruth, who is the main character of this book, actually represents the church. And so when you read the book of Ruth, you can actually have a look at what it's saying for us, a people of, of Gentile believers, and represents us. Then you've got Naomi. Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law as we go through. Actually represents the Jewish nation and the nation of Israel. And so there's another type there as well. And as you read through the book, and it'll speak, be speaking to something about Naomi or Ruth, But in a larger, broader context, it's speaking to us or the nation of Israel. We've also got Boaz, who we won't be introduced today. Boaz is known as the kinsman redeemer. And what is he a type of? Christ. That's right. He represents our Messiah or the Christ, the redeemer who comes along and brings salvation and saves. And there's also another type, and I won't talk about it, that represents the law. There's a character in here that represents the law or the old covenant. Interestingly enough, 
that person doesn't even get given a name in this book. So that's right, exactly. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? So, <laughs> so there's a lot of types in there. So as we work through the book of Ruth and as we do that, uh, just, just be mindful that although we're looking at a family here, there's much bigger and broader connotations that, that ripple throughout all of history as we do this. So I'm going to read uh, probably the first six verses of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to join along with me. Ruth chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Now it came to part, and I should apologise before I start, I will mess up some of the names, so I will stumble over them. Please overlook that. Uh, I'm not very good at some of these old names. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Amalek. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrahites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Amalek, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Marlon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her, sorry, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So here we've got a story about a family, a Jewish family who lived in Bethlehem. But there was severe drought in Bethlehem, and so they pack up the husband packs up his family, his wife and his two young kids and they make a trek and they go out to a foreign land, to the country of Moab. And there they set up residency there. And this family uh, are living there for some time until the husband actually passes away. And then you've got a, a mum and two kids who've grown up a bit now but left in this foreign land. And in those days you didn't have to two breadwinners, you didn't have two, two people, the mums and the dads both didn't go out to earn money. That was the responsibility of the husband. And so now you've got a wife looking after two kids with no way to earn an income, but two grown sons or growing up sons. And they took two wives, two Moabite wives, as they're living in there. And then uh, we read a little bit further down, God visited his people back in Jerusalem and gave them bread. And so she uproots her life, uh, having lost both her husband, very sad story, and also her two sons, who have all, been, who have all died, and she gets up to leave to return back to home. So that's the context that we're going to look at a little bit here. But I want to delve into some of the details, specifically in verse 1. Because in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 1, there is a lot of context there to help us understand what is actually going on. So let me read it again. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So there's a lot of things there. First of all, it says that the, this story took place. It was set in the times of the judges which is a historical time when the nation of Israel didn't have any king. And if we go back to the book, the very previous book to Ruth, 
the final verse in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 1 verse 25, it says this. It says, in those days, in what days? In the days of the Judges. In the days in which uh, this story is set. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the setting in which we find the book of Ruth. A time where there was no ruler, no spiritual leader, no leader of the nation, and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And when that phrase is used in Scripture, doing what is right in their own eyes, what it actually means is their eyes are not on Christ at all. Their eyes are not on God. Their eyes are solely selfish, looking, trying to do what feels right, what's good to me. I reckon we might live in similar days. What do you reckon? We might live in days where everyone is kind of doing what is right in their own eyes. In fact, we live in an age where, where there is no absolute truth, according to some. My truth is different to your truth. And so I can do according to my own truth, which may not be truth at all, but it doesn't matter because I believe it. We live in a day and age where uh, I can do whatever I like as long as I don't hurt some, someone else. And in fact, I've actually ha started to hear a new phrase that I can do whatever I like and if other people get hurt by that, well, it's my right. And so we live in a day and age now where everyone is doing things that is right in their own eyes. And so sin is abounding within this time where Ruth is set. Sin is everywhere. So people are doing whatever they feel like it. And that is the context in which we find ourselves. And the very next thing that it says is in those days when the judges ruled, that's the context, there was famine in the land. Biblically, famine represents judgment. And so... This time that Ruth is set is in a time when everyone's going about their own things, not concerned with God, concerned with only what feels right, concerned with whatever I want to do. But there's, there's judgment upon the land because these covenant people have stopped listening and following God. And so this famine is obviously fairly severe. And we know that it's severe because the next thing that it says is that and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. How do we know that this was a severe famine? Well, there's two reasons. One, it would be fairly severe to uproot a family, wouldn't it? And to take your family from what you've known, the country, your friends, uh, your extended family, and to remove them and go into a foreign country and live there. So we know just from that that it's a fairly severe famine. But we also know that it's a severe famine because of another detail that's not actually shared here. And to understand that, we have to actually understand who are the Moabites. Because they went to the country of Moab. So who are the Moabites? So the Moabites are actually the descendants of Lot. And we all know, and I won't go into it, uh, how Lot got his children. There was a little bit of... Um, immorality happening between him and his daughters and that is where the descendants of Lot came that and one of those children born to his daughter um, are referred to as the Moabites 
The Moabites have a history of seducing the Israelites away from worshipping their God. Time and time again throughout scripture, we see how the Moabites would go in and influence the nation of Israel to actually stop worshipping their God and to join with them in pagan rituals and worshipping other man-made idols. And so not only was this seduction uh, happening and immorality happening at the birth of their nation but it showed up throughout the history of their nation as well Moab were were against the Jews and it must have been serious famine for this family to up and leave and go to the nation of Moab in order for them to do that they would have been losing face in the eyes of their friends and families that stayed behind they would have been losing face or, or reputation would have been tarnished because they, he took his family up to leave. So we know that it's severe. It also represents that a not trusting of God. Because he's taken his family saying, God, I can't trust you. I know that this is the promised land that you've given us. But this famine is, I'm going over there to provide for myself. And not trusting God, going to those that God had previously warned about. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, fascinating insight, specifically verses 3 to 6, but I want to start at verse 1 and we'll come back to the first two verses later on. But in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says this, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. One of, the Ill, one of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet with the bread and water. They did not meet you meaning the Israelite nation, they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Baal to curse the son of Baal from Pethera of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Baal, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not seek the peace of the Ammonites or the Moabites, nor their prosperity all your days forever. So here we have a curse being placed upon the descendants or or the Moabites. Why? Because as the nation of Israel left Egypt... They sent people ahead, scouts ahead, and said, can we come through your country? Can we pass through your country, and is there any chance that you can feed us and water us as we go through? And the Moabites stood up and said, you are not to come through our country. In fact, if you come through our country, it will be a declaration of war, and we will stand against you. We will not give you any morsel of food, nor will we give you any water. And so God says, because of this, don't have anything to do with them. Because of this, and then they not only did they do that, but as you were bypassing around their country, they got a prophet in to curse you as you were passing by. And he says, don't have anything to do with these Moabites. And here we have a family who have upped and left 
and gone to the country of Moab. In fact, in verse 5, sorry, in verse 6, it says, You shall not seek their, meaning the Moabites, peace. You shall not seek their peace, nor their prosperity in all your days. And here we've got a family who is struggling to feed themselves in Bethlehem. And they've up and they've left and they've gone to this people who God has specifically said, stay away from them. And they've, because they didn't feed you, and this family's gone to go look for food. He says, don't go and seek peace with them and don't go and, and seek their prosperity. And because times were tough in their country, they've up and they've left and they've gone to this country seeking their peace and their prosperity. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, didn't they? It says in there, in Scripture, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says, The Moabites shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Commentators there's much dispute over what this phrase, assembly of the Lord, actually means. Some say it means don't intermarry with the Moabites. Others will say we're not convinced that it actually means that because elsewhere in Scripture it talks specifically about other nations that, that Israel were not to intermarry and Moab isn't mentioned there so they're going, well, maybe it doesn't mean that. Other commentators say that it means don't partake in general life with the Moabites. Some other commentators are saying, well, actually we think it's about don't allow Moabites to hold a position of authority. Don't allow Moabites to come in and, and take any civic responsibility within the nation of Israel because they have a history of seducing you away whether that's for the nation or for the townships. For our purposes, we're not going to delve in and look exactly at what does this phrase, assembly of the Lord, mean. Other than to say that the Israelites were encouraged to stay away from the Moabites and there was a kind of curse put on the nation of Israel. Oh, sorry, not on the nation of Israel, on the nation of the Moabites. And this is really important context, and I'm sorry to have laboured it so long, but we need to understand this because it speaks to the book that we're, we're going through in Ruth. You see, Ruth is a fascinating book in the Bible with all of this detail. This family uproot themselves and go and live in this country that they've specifically been told, stay away from them. Don't seek their peace and their prosperity. Don't go. They didn't feed you. They're not going to look after you. This family anyway uprooted. The, two dad, the dad dies, the two boys die, take wives and then pass away. And then the boys die and Naomi, the mother-in-law, packs up to leave and to head back to Bethlehem. Why? Because in verse 6 of chapter 1 of Ruth, it says, Then Ruth, or sorry, not Ruth, Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The famine's over. And so she goes, I've got nothing left here. I've come to this country of Moab. I've come to this country of strangers. And my husband's died and my, my two children have died. And now I hear that God has visited my hometown and he's, he's delivered them food and the famine is over. I'm out of here. This place has brought nothing but trouble. And she gets up to leave. Naomi, further on in the next few verses, tells her daughters-in-law, 
go back to your family. I've got nothing for you. Go back to your parents and go and try and start your lives again. You've been good for me and I'll bless you, but just just go. Just go back. And they both cry out and go, no, 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 we're going to stay with you. And she turns around and she says, no, I've got nothing, even if I have. And the culture back then was, um, if, if your husband dies, then, then your husband's brother would look after your wife and your family and, and it would become their own. And she says, even if I have kids now, are you going to hang around for them so that they can look after you? She goes, I've got nothing. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Go back to your parents. And so Orpah up and returns. And Ruth refuses. Ruth hangs on. And this Moabite refuses to leave Naomi, refuses to leave her side. This Moabite who's looked down upon, not supposed to liaise with, clings to Naomi. And in verse 16 and 17, uh, Naomi says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. If Ruth had have just turned around and gone back to her family, there would have been no more to this story. But she doesn't. She makes a declaration. She makes a declaration to say, I'm not leaving you. I'm following after you. And we can read by the very next verse that Naomi's actually not very happy with Ruth. Because it says in verse 18, when she saw, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Naomi gave her daughter-in-law the silent treatment. She really wasn't happy about it. She wanted to go back. Partly, I think, because she knew she was going back to her people and the Moabite people were not to be accepted, were not to come in, were, were to be ostracized and out. And here she's going to be bringing back a Moabitess. But Ruth makes this declaration and says, I will not leave you and your God will be my God. I put everything else behind me. I put the idols of my nation behind me. I put everything else behind me. And this Moabitess, as we read the rest of the book of Ruth, becomes the great grandmother of King David. Is actually a part of our Messiah's genealogy. This Moabitess, how can it be that her, she is intermixed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the Saviour of the world, from a country and a people who were told, stay away from these people, they are not good, and yet we look to our Messiah's genealogy, and here we find this Moabitess. What's happening? What's going on? I actually believe there's a truth here that can be so easily overlooked. You see, Ruth gave her allegiance to Yahweh, to the God of the Jews, to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus. See this, the minute we pledge our allegiance to Yahweh, and for us, that's to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Our past, our condemnation, our curses are all swept away. Our sins are forgiven and forgotten. Our judgment paid for. Our condemnation borne by another. The old self dies and we are born a new creation. 
And nowhere do we see this, more, this truth more self-evident than in the life of Ruth. This person who'd been condemned. This person who was part of a nation who was supposed to be ostracised. Pledges allegiance to Yahweh and all of a sudden is a part, is the great grandmother of King David. And a part of the genealogy of the Messiah. Without her, Jesus would not have been able to come into our world. Without this person who had a, was from a, a nation who had a curse on them. All commentators agree that Ruth represents the church. The Gentiles being accepted into the house of God. Ruth represents us. We were once ostracized. We were not part of the Jewish nation. But the moment we accept Jesus, our past does not define us anymore. Our relationship to our Saviour defines us. This is who we are now. It doesn't matter what you have done or who you once were before you accepted Jesus. Because once you accept Jesus, like Ruth, all that is swept away and your identity changes. And you become not a part of his genealogy, but a part of his kingdom and a part of his family. This is who we are. This is our new identity. And some people may say, Grant, you're reading too much into it. Let's flick over to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah 56 verses 1 to 8. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness is to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now we must remember this is in the old covenant days, and keeping the Sabbath is important to us who are in the new covenant, who Jesus, Jesus himself is our Sabbath. He is our rest. And that's important for us to understand. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. Thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And if we just quickly flick back to judge, uh, to not Judges, sorry, where are we? Deuteronomy 23. Remember verse 1, it says, He who is masculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Who's that speaking of? The eunuchs. And here in Isaiah, he's saying, Do you know what? If you've committed to me, I'll accept you. Even though that's been there, I'll accept you. If you will respect my peace and my Sabbaths, I will receive you. Verse 6 in Isaiah 56, Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him others beside those who are gathered to him. You see in Isaiah 56 verses 1 to 8, the Lord says, 
I'll accept everyone who chooses me. I'll receive everyone who chooses my Sabbath and for us that is Jesus Christ our rest. I'll receive them and they'll become mine and I will bless them abundantly. Without fault or favour and it doesn't matter what their past is and it doesn't matter what their history is, I will receive them. As mentioned earlier, almost unanimously Bible commentators believe that Ruth is a type of the church and we need to understand this because this means that we are not defined by our birthrights. We are not defined by our nationality. Josh, you might be American, but that doesn't define you. You're still accepted. (laughs) But it means for you, wherever you come from, whatever your past, whatever your history is, whether you're Canadian or not, it doesn't matter. Your nationality, we are received solely upon our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Saviour. Because the minute we place faith in Him, we have a new identity. We are born again. Not born again as Australian, not born again as a sinner, but born into the kingdom of God as the son or daughter of the living God. Who are you? You are the son of God. You are the daughter of the living God. You are a part of his family, his kingdom. You are his representative on earth. You are his ambassador. You are his. That is who you are. And that's what Ruth tells us, the story about Ruth, is that we are his and even though you are not from the chosen nation, doesn't matter what history is, doesn't matter what about the past is yours, if you choose him, he chooses you. If you choose him, he will bless you. Give me five more minutes. Let's go back to Ruth. And it will be five minutes because we'll be wrapping up very soon. Ruth chapter 1 verses 18 through to 22 says this uh, we'll start at verse 19 sorry now the two of them meaning Naomi and Ruth went until they came to Bethlehem and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem all the city was excited because of them and the woman said is this Naomi they're saying they're crying out Naomi's returned but she Naomi said to them do not call me Naomi call me Mara for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and Ruth and the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. We'll get focus on the barley harvest and what that means next time. But did you see it? This is probably my favourite passage in, in Ruth. Here we have Naomi whose name means my delight. And she's returning home and her people are excited, going, Naomi's back, Naomi's back. And, and she says, I don't want you ever referring to me again as Naomi. I want you, because I am no longer the delight of anyone, she's saying. I want you to call me Mara, because I am bitter. And bitterness is within me. Because God has struck me down and that's who I am now. I am now bitter. And then immediately after she says that, she says, never refer to me again as Naomi, call me Mara. Verse 22 says, so Naomi. Aren't we glad God doesn't always listen to our requests? God turns around and goes, I'm going to ignore what you've said, Naomi. I don't care how you see yourself. You are my delight. 
And I will, or you will always be my delight. And it doesn't matter how you see yourself, he will always see us as his delight. You are his delight. How good is that? You can cry out and go, I am so woeful and so pitiful and I am so bad. But God goes, you're my delight. In you I delight. In you I love. Kira read in the call to worship about why did Jesus come to the earth? To choose you. So you could be his delight. That's why. How good is that? He will never refer to you other than the way that he sees you, for that is your identity. And remember, Naomi represents specifically the nation of Israel, and some will say God has cast away the nation of Israel. But you look at the nation of Israel, and yes, they've been dealt harshly, and and they're right to have some bitterness with everything that's going on, but God still looks at them and goes, they are my delight. I chose them, and I will come back for them. They are mine. And we, through Jesus Christ, have been branched into that olive tree. So that same truth is for you and I. We are his delight. He chose you. You are his. That is who you are. That is your identity. You are his delight. This week as we go, I want you to remember that. I want you every week, that, every day that you wake up, look in the mirror. And go, I am the child of the living God, for he chose me. I am his delight. And take that joy out into the world. Will you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you chose us. I want to thank you for your son Jesus, who indeed did come into this world to redeem us. And it is because of him that we can be called yours. And it is because of him that we can be known as your delight. Father, we thank you that you delight in us. We thank you that it doesn't matter how we see ourselves, our true identity is how you see us. And you see us as your delight, as your children, as your blessed ones. You see us as your chosen one, as your sons and daughters. Father, embed the truth of our new identity in Jesus Christ into our hearts. So wherever we are, whatever situation we find ourselves confronting or being confronted by, we can stand on the absolute truth that we are yours and you are for us and we are your delight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's good, isn't it? It's good. All right, we're going to close off with the final song. I must have the Saviour with me. Please stand and sing.